Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Turn to Luke chapter 10, starting from verse 25. We're going to be reading all the way through verse 37. And many of you know the story, and we're starting a whole new series. And it's already the first week of November. And we have started our missions month, and it's exciting of all the things that we have planned, all the things that I believe that God is going to do. And this year's theme is what? You guys remember? To the ends of the earth that we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, to be witnesses as we go into different places in our lives all the way to the ends of the earth. I want to give a little history of missions month. A lot of you who are new to our church, uh, some of you were not here last year. Uh, Some of you maybe just don't really understand why we're spending a whole month on Missions Month. I want to give a little bit of the whys of this. This is important. Uh, Back in um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, when we started, my wife and I, we started the church in 1996 at the University of Michigan. Uh, One of the things that we really had a passion for is not only discipleship, evangelism, but one of the things that really impacted both of our lives was when we went on a short-term missions project. And so because of that, my wife went to Africa, and, and same with, uh, I went to Africa earlier before college, but I went, uh, or the early years of my college, she went through the latter years of college, but those trips really made an impact in our lives. And because it was so impactful, we really felt that if we could reach out to many of this younger generation, college students, university students, that it will impact your life forever, changing the trajectory of where you will be. And so that's why even our name, Harvest Mission Community Church, we made it a priority that we will always be about God's mission and to do His mission work wherever we go, wherever He calls us. And so in the beginning, we just had one week. It was just called Missions Week. And so we have a sermon on Sunday, and then throughout the week, we'll have a Bible study, and then we might have a Friday night, kind of like an encounter gathering and then we responded to God, and, and it was good. It was going well. We kind of laid out foundation for many people, but over the years, what began to happen, we realized, why are we doing this for a week? Why don't we do it for a whole month so that we could really saturate ourselves in understanding God's heart for missions? And as you know, there are a lot of things that takes time to not only develop, but it takes time to allow it to stir our hearts. And we just challenged ourselves, or we were challenged with the idea, if this is that important, why can't we spend a whole month just talking about it? And so around 2000, probably 2009-ish or so, we decided instead of having a missions week, we decided to have a missions month. So the whole month of November, we wanted to focus on God's mission. And this is something we have committed ourselves to. And so I want to give the four-fold purposes of what we want to see happen during this month of November. And once again, I know for some of us, this is all new. And some of us, we've been through Missions Month before, but I'm challenging you, if you've been with us for some time, that this will be the Missions Month that you will make some important decisions for the rest of your life. And so those of us who are new to this, I pray that you'll give you a vision of what we're trying to do here. So the first thing that we're going to try to do during the uh, missions month is we want to capture God's heart for his mission. Now, I know some people kind of get a little bit mixed up. What does it mean by mission or missions? Uh, Whenever we talk about mission without the S, it's God's mission, his overall purpose in our lives and in this world. Missions is the playing out of, or if you want to look at it, the various ministries of doing God's mission. And so we want to capture his heart, his heart for his mission. That's the first thing. I pray that after this month, there will not be a single person in our church that does not understand God's heart for his mission. I want all of us to be able to capture his heart for mission. The second thing is simply this, to cultivate a biblical foundation for missions. And this is something that I'm going to commit myself to, and hopefully through life group, the Bible study, everything we're doing, that you will gain a heart and understand as we lay down the foundation for God's mission. Some people have asked, and I know some of you are wondering things like, 
Why do we even need to do missions if God is sovereign? If he has already predestined some people and not others, why, why do we need to do missions? Let God just take care of it. Well, that's the problem, is that he wants to use us. He could do it without us. Trust me, he can't. He's used trees, donkeys. You, you look throughout scriptures, he uses many different things to accomplish his mission. But he's giving us a privilege to participate in that work. And so even though he doesn't need us, and he's sovereign, he's inviting us to be a part of that. Some of us might be thinking, well, what's going to happen to those people who never heard the gospel? And whenever I hear that as a question, I always say, well, that's why you're here. If they've never heard the gospel, someone needs to go to them. But many of us who have the gospel, we don't want to go. We're self-centered. We want to live our comfortable life. If you're that concerned about those people who have never heard the gospel, you should be the first ones to say, here I am, Lord. Send me to some of the hardest places. I can't wait for Pastor Wayne Chen to come. He's going to talk about his time in Papua New Guinea. Like I was thinking about his story, and I t talked with him. As I met with him before, I'm like, I don't even know if I could even do what he did. Incredible stories, phenomenal things. You don't want to miss that encounter, and he's going to come on Sunday, and he's going to be preaching as well. And so what about those people who never heard the gospel? Well, that's why we have mission, so they can hear the gospel. And a lot of times, if every single believer would take this gospel message and share it with every single person that they encounter, we believe that every person will be able to hear the gospel message. But we don't want to do that. This is a little side comment, but a lot of the missionaries go to all those bigger cities and forget about some of these unreached people where you have no toilets, no running water. You're going to be suffering. And a lot of us are not willing, not willing to lay down our lives to go to some of the hard places. So before we ask what's going to happen to those who have never heard the gospel, we should be asking ourselves, what are we doing with the gospel that we have? If we're not sharing it with our colleagues at work, we're not sharing it with our roommates and classmates, like that question is kind of, in many ways, just seems frivolous when we think about the people who are even around us, we're not sharing the gospel. Some of us might even be thinking about, well, what's going to happen to those people who've never heard the, you know, are they going to go to hell? Well, that's the urgency why we as believers need to be a part of God's mission. And so all these questions, a lot of these things you could look up in the internet, uh, these apologetical questions, and so and the leaders will give you websites to kind of help you to answer some of these questions. But the bottom line is this, you and I, we need to have a biblical understanding of God's mission. And so we want to cultivate that for every single one of you so you could give a reason why we as a church, we participate in God's mission. The third is to commit to participating in God's mission. That's why we're having Missions Month, that every single one of us, by the time we finish in the end of November, I want to see every single one of you committing to God's mission, that somehow you'll participate. It doesn't mean that you're going to go to Papua New Guinea. It doesn't mean you're going to go to some of these hard places. It might. Some of you, it might mean that you go on a short-term missions project with us. If, it, if that door opens up for you. For some of us, it means just being on mission with God, with other people, in your workplace, in your schools, whatever, in this city, so, or your high school, wherever you're at, that God is going to use you as you commit to his mission. And the fourth and last thing is to collaborate together to do God's mission. You know, I, I've I found it more and more true as I'm getting older that it's less about me doing something, but it's more about us and we doing something together. That's why we have Life Group where you're doing missions together. You guys are reaching out to different places, different people. And so we want that to happen throughout this month of November. So once again, we want to capture God's heart for his mission. We're going to cultivate the biblical foundation for mission. We're going to commit to participating in God's mission. And lastly, collaborating together with our life group uh, members to do God's mission. So that's the purpose of this coming month. And I pray that God will accomplish it by His grace and by His power. I want to start off by asking the question, do you know where most of our members, all of us here, do you know where we live in Hong Kong? Have you ever thought about that? Mid-levels, just no, look, look at us, you know, we're not there yet. Like, just think about this for a moment. Where do you think most of our members live? So 
I know that's a question some of you have never thought about. Some of you have for various reasons. I don't want to even go there. But do you know where most of our members, where they live? Do you know? No? Well, let's find out. Pull out your phones. We're going to do a little Mentimeter. All right? We're not being stalkish or crazy, all right? It's all anonymous here, all right? So go ahead and scan this QR code. We're going to find out where everyone lives and how saturated Hong Kong is because of our members and where they live. And I don't think it's going to be too surprising. It's going to be surrounding some universities, right? So go ahead, go ahead and scan the QR code. We'll give you about 10 more seconds. The more of you who fill it out, the better representation we'll see. All right, we will get a map to clearly show where most of our members, where they reside. Are you ready? All right, so let's go ahead and ask the question, where do you live? So go ahead, if you can look at this map, I don't know if you can see it, there's uh, the 18 districts there. Someone lives in Coho. I don't know where that is. Wow. Okay. Lord bless you, whoever you are here, all the way in the island, coming all the way, you know. Wow. Someone lives in China, and they're coming. Praise the Lord. I, I don't know where that is. Wow, we got, we got a lot of people near Wan Chai, the area, and also in, looks like Yamate or something, all right? Anyone else? Wow. Tin Moon, no one lives out there? Okay. <laughs> I don't know if anyone lives out here. They're just trying to be a jokester or something, all right? So look, look, look at this. I, I, want you to, I want you to look at this for a moment. This just represents all of you, our church members here. I mean, if you really think about it, we're pretty much hitting majority, not all, but a good part of Hong Kong. Now, the reason why I had you do this, because I want you to visually see how we are literally spread out as a church. With every single one of you living in different districts, every single one of you living in different parts of Hong Kong. Now, what is the significance of this? The question that I want to follow up with is wherever you have put as your place of residence, the question is this, do you know about your neighborhood? Do you know what the average age is? Do you know what some of the specific needs are? Do you know what are the, what's happening in your district in particular? Do you know what kind of people live there? What ethnicities? Or even just socioeconomic background? Because each district is different. I think the problem for many of us is that you and I, we live in a bubble. And I say this because it is easy to wake up in the morning in your Christian home or in your nice home, then you go to work, you go to school, wherever you go, you hang out with people that you know, you come back in the evening, you might go to life group, you might do other things, and you literally live inside a bubble and you don't know what's happening with your neighbors or even within your neighborhood. This is a fact. This is something that all of us, if we were honest and we have to confess, we realize, yeah, I don't know much about my neighborhood. I don't know much about my district. I don't know what's going on even in our apartment complex. And the thing is this, is that oftentimes this kind of ignorance, and I, I'm saying ignorance because we just are clueless to this, is it is easier to talk about generalities than rather specific things. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this as we look into the story. 
that you could look really spiritual and talk about things in generalities rather than really being specific and talking about people and specific needs. And I think this is the reason why there's so much of a subculture that is oftentimes built in the church. That we are not living out the calling that God has given to us as followers of Jesus Christ, but we live in a subculture. Those of you who are students, I want you to think about you wake up in the morning, you go to your classes, hang out with some of those guys who are in your life group maybe, you study with them, you eat meals with them. And it's so easy to be removed from the situation in your universities. Those of us who are working, I want you to think about this for a moment. The way things play out for you oftentimes is you get up in the morning, you go to work, you do all your niceties of saying, hey, how are you? And you try to do your work, but you don't really interact with people. You rarely eat with your coworkers because you kind of eat by yourself because no one else you're close with or friends with or maybe you're uh, there's no other Christians and so you feel like the talk things that they talk about the things that they do you can't really relate with them so you end up eating by yourself and missing out every single day opportunities to be, be a witness for Jesus Christ then what happens after everything's done you hang out with some of the life group people or you go to life group and this is the the story of your existence we, we build these subcultures because it is really easy to live in these subcultures rather than being a salt and light for Jesus Christ. But Jesus reminds us as kingdom citizens that we are supposed to be the salt and light of the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, it says this, You are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to god your father who is in heaven i'm going to read it from the message translation and i want you to read it with me in the yellow section it says this it says, let me tell you why you are here. It, it talks about our purpose. Some of you are wondering, why are we here on this earth? He says, let me tell you why you're here on this earth. You're here to be what? Salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors. That we literally are able to bring out the flavors of God, who he is, letting people know of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out God's colors. Not only the God seasoning now, but the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. You're going public with this. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. I want you to think about that. Like one of the best ways to be a witness for Jesus is opening your homes. It says, keep open house, be what? Generous with your lives. And I'm going to talk about that today, how generosity is one of the best ways to love your neighbors. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You know, one of the cultures in the United States, and it just reminded me as I went back this past week, is that we always invite people over to our homes. And it's just a culture, especially in the church culture. You invite people into your homes. And I remember it was such a powerful statement that was made by an African-American pastor that I built relationship with. And he said something that was so poignant, it stuck with me even to this day. He passed away uh, since then, but it really stuck with me. And this is what he said. He says that you know you have broken the race and the ethnic barrier or the social economic barrier when you are able to invite people who are different from you 
into your home and your kids play with their kids. I was just thinking about that, and I realized what he, in essence what he was saying is this. You could be really nice out in public, but as soon as you open your home, you're opening yourself. Because now they get to see how you live, where you live. And then by bringing them over into your home, especially those who are married and have children, your kids are now playing together. So when you get into that level, you begin to realize that it's much deeper than just high on a Sunday, but now you're doing life on life. It really challenged me. Now think about us in Hong Kong. I, there, there are a million reasons. I know. It's, the apartment's too small. It's 495, uh, four, you know, 95 square feet. You know, we don't have much room. There's a lot of reasons. Or you're going to come in there and judge me because of all the things that I have or all the things I don't have. We have a lot of problems in Asia. Whatever the reason, if you really think about it, we in Asia have created an environment where you are keeping to yourself you put on a facade, you save face because it's so important that you look a certain way or you pretend to be a certain person rather than really being who you really are. That's why I think sometimes it is so difficult to love your neighbors and to love your neighborhood and even in your district. We have created an environment that is closed off to people around us. I remember in college, one of the things that we loved doing because we were so passionate about the gospel is we will always have an open door policy. We'll always leave our door open. And we, we ended up doing something really sneaky. We ended up putting a microwave in there and started cooking popcorn. Because you know what happens when you start popping popcorn? The smell begins to filtrate into the whole halls. And people would always stop by and go, hey, hey, what's going on? You could tell, you know, because they uh, smell the popcorn. We're like, hey, come on in, and we'll offer them popcorn, and we'll have discussions. Like, that kind of stuff rarely happens here in Asia. Why? Because we, this is my space, this is my life, this, that's yours. And so you can literally live your whole life in a neighborhood and not even know your neighbors. This is why we're not able to be effectively do evangelism and live out God's mission because what it's creating is a very self-centered and it's all about my life attitude rather than what is God's heart and what does he want to do in this particular apartment complex or in this neighborhood, in this campus, in my workplace, wherever you may be. I'm challenging us with this because as we look into this passage, I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to address. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that we share God's love in obedience as his love flows out of experience. When we experience God's love, it will just naturally overflow. And this is where we're going to be able to share his love. And we do it in obedience to him because he first loved us. I'm hoping and praying as we talk about Missions Month this first Sunday, is that we're going to talk about our neighbors. And as we do talk about our neighbor, how can I engage the people that are closest to me in proximity? Maybe not in terms of emotionally, all that, but at least those who are right next to us, whether it's at the workplace, they're in your cubicle next to you. How do we love these people that God has placed in our lives? So we share God's love and obedience as his love flows out of experience. I'm going to talk about two specific things in this passage of the Good Samaritan. The first thing is simply this, that we must love genuinely. Will you turn to somebody next to you and tell them we must love genuinely? So before looking into this story, this famous story about the Good Samaritan, we need to understand why Jesus gave the story in the first place. Let's go ahead and read verse 25. Through 29. This is what the word of God says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now in verse 25, we see that there was a lawyer who asked Jesus the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now it's important to know that this lawyer was a religious scholar. That's why in the NIV is translated as an expert in the law. Therefore, he should have understood all the requirements that God demanded in the law. This is why when it says the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, it makes sense. He wasn't asking this question to really genuinely know, but he was trying to test Jesus by asking this question. And so it's not that the lawyer didn't know the demands of the law, but it was simply to test him, to test Jesus. Now, Jesus, understanding his heart, and this is the amazing part about Jesus, we'll see this time and time again whenever he encounters people. Jesus, understanding his heart and the true intentions of the lawyer, he answered the lawyer's question with two questions. What were those two questions? We just read it. The first question was, what is written in the law? It's almost saying, like, indirectly, you're an expert in the law. Don't you know this? What is written in the law? The second question is, how do you read it? Because if there's anyone who knew how to read the law, were these experts of the law, these religious leaders. And the lawyer could not avoid these two questions, and so how does he respond to it? He responds by mentioning the basic teaching of every single Jewish person that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your what? Neighbor as yourself. Like every Jew knew this basic teaching, especially the teacher of the law. It was so simple that it's about loving God and loving people. Now, Jesus responded by saying what? You have answered correctly. Good job. Well, that would have been my version. And he says what? Do this and you will live. Now, this is what's really important. Just pause here for a second. See what's going on. The answer was correct. But then Jesus says, do this and you will live. Because in our lives, there are many times when we know a lot of things, but we don't do it. Can I get a good amen to that? You know what I'm talking about, because that happens to me all the time. There are a lot of things we know, things that we ought to do or things that we ought not to do. But we continue to do it, or we continue to not do the things that God wants us to do. So here's a teacher of the law who knew the law, the demands of the law. And so that's why Jesus says, do it and you will live. Because sometimes when you know something and you don't do it, what good is knowing that law when you don't follow through? So that's why the lawyers, either his conscience was bothering him or he was getting convicted, especially in the shortcoming of really learning to fulfill this law. What does he say? The lawyer then responds and says, who is my neighbor? If this was an MMA fight, this is going down because Jesus really made it very clear what he was supposed to do. But the lawyer, either because he was conscious was bothering him or maybe he got convicted, he didn't realize that he wasn't really living out the law, what does he do? He ends up asking this question, who is my neighbor? Now, in verse 29, it says, desiring to justify himself. Let me, let me read it in the message translation so you understand exactly what's happening. And this is what I want to address in our hearts. Looking for a loophole. Everyone say loophole. loophole. Some are like, what's a loophole? Don't worry. I'll try to explain it. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? 
a loophole is finding a way where you don't really have to do something or answer something, and you'll still be made right. It's kind of like those fine prints that if you spend this much money, then you get this much discount, but then there's a loophole, so you're trying to find that, and then you realize you don't have to spend that much, and then you can still get the same discount. You're trying to find a way to get out of it. That's what a loophole is. So when a person looks for a loophole, what I want you to understand is they're trying to avoid responsibility or trying to get their own selfish ways. Let me put it in a context you might understand. Let's say your leader goes, hey, can we meet up? And some of you are so excited. No, you're not. You're like, uh-oh, what's going on? And so they sit down and say, hey, how are things going? And you're enjoying life group. And here they are now slowly turning this corner and say, you know, when we had that gathering and let's just, I'm, I'm making this up. You ate all the food and no one could ever, you know, you ate it all by yourself. Like, on one hand, you look at this like, yeah, that's not good. That food was for everyone, but I really love shrimp, and I just took the whole thing, and I ate the whole thing by myself. Let's just say that that's the situation. <laughs> now, instead of saying, I'm addicted to shrimp, <laughs> and please forgive me, I, I will apologize to the rest of the life group. Well, what do we end up doing? Well, no one else was eating it. Well, because you were the first one eating it. But no one else was eating it. Well, I heard some people were allergic to shrimp, so I decided to save them from allergic reaction. <laughs> now, let me just say, this is all hypothetical, and I just made this up. If, if it's convicting your heart and it was you, then you could go repent afterwards. The point I'm trying to make is simply this. When you know that something might be wrong, but instead of owning up to it and taking responsibility, what do we end up doing? Making excuses. Let's say that we're supposed to be on time for something, and it was just that you were on email, or you are finished playing a game, or you were doing other stuff, or you are fixing whatever hair you have left on your head, and you were late. So finding that loophole for you would be what? Oh, there's traffic. Do you know that's the number one reason why Indonesians always say traffic? <laughs> always, always, all the time. I was in Indonesia two weeks ago. And I, I go, oh, I miss Indonesia. I miss Indonesia. They're late, but what do they say? Traffic. And the thing is this, you can't really argue with that because there is traffic. So you can't be like, liar, because there is traffic. But deep inside, they could have made it. They just didn't plan well. But that's a loophole that's saying traffic. You got to roll that R, traffic. I'm giving you these ridiculous examples, some of them are not, but anyway, these examples to shed light on what's really going on in our hearts. How many of us don't want to take responsibility? How many of us do not want to do certain things or we want to do certain things? So what do we do? We make excuses. That's exactly what the lawyer is doing. He knew very well all the demands of the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He knew the demands of learning to love one another, but he's not doing that. And so what does he say? He goes, well, define, Jesus. Well, who is my neighbor? Huh. Now you got Jesus upset, all right? <laughs> now it's going down. So what does Jesus do? He ends up telling a story. Now, before we go into the story... Let's try to have some sympathy for this person. Uh, he really had three options when Jesus said, do it and you shall live. And instead of saying, who is my neighbor? He had three options. I was thinking about this, and I said the first option he had was to humble himself and 
turn to God for mercy. Like, God, I'm not living it out. I'm not loving people. I'm not loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. He could have humbled himself and turned to God, just acknowledged his sin and turned to God. And Jesus would have shown mercy. So that's the first option, which he did not do. The second option was to focus on his strength and maybe try to prove to Jesus that he's good enough, that he is a good lawyer, which I think some of us do. We try harder. We try to do more things just to prove that we're good enough. He didn't do that. The third option, which he did do, was he redirected the focus and tried to redefine the requirements of the law. So what do you really mean by that? Who is my neighbor? And this is exactly what many of us do. Not when a leader tells you, but even when God speaks to you, we try to say, what do you mean you want me to give up everything? That's why as I talked about last week, you remember the story with Abraham? God made a very, I want you to sacrifice your son, your what? Only son. That's when he knew that he wanted Isaac. Because he could have rationalized, made excuses. The lawyer decided to choose the third option, which was find a loophole so he can escape the responsibility of loving people. He wanted the word neighbor to be defined, to show that he had kept the commandments. But here's the problem. The word neighbor, defining it in the narrowest way, would have been easier for him to say that there are a lot of people that he didn't have to love. Because if it's defined as this person you have to love, then he could be like, oh, I do that, and neglect all the people that he hates. That's why I think it's important to understand he would have been able to be at peace to say, I'm still obeying this command of loving my neighbor, but not genuinely understanding the principle behind it. Follow me as best as you can. This is important to understand. That by making excuses or not taking responsibility, finding that loophole allows you to still feel like you're doing something good, but you're not really fully obeying. This is not genuine biblical love. Jesus knew this about the lawyer and what was in his heart. That's why Jesus clearly knew there were some people that this person was not loving. That's why the lawyer was trying to make the issue complicated and philosophical, but Jesus made it simple and practical by simply showing him now who this person is. I was thinking about this, and I realized that it actually happened on my 16-hour flight. I was like, 16 hours? That was just from San Francisco. The whole trip took uh, 30 hours going there. Coming back took another close to 30 hours. But the pilot said there's a volcanic explosion or some kind of ashes that made this flight that usually takes about 14 hours now into a 16-hour flight. And I was tracking the whole thing. And it was going around Hawaii and going around. I'm like, why? We could have just gone straight like that, right? And... I was tired. I had to finish off on the message. I was trying to find different quotes and doing different things. And as I was doing this, I, I just said, okay, I, I, I'm going to plan this out. Right now, it is morning in Hong Kong. It's nighttime in the States. So I said, I'm just going to stay up, push myself, and so that once... It's late afternoon, early evening, I'll fall asleep. And then I'll kind of wake up like early, so then it's like me waking up early here in Hong Kong. So that was my plan. So I, uh, it, it's a long story, I, I can't even go into it. I'm almost not, I, I very, let's just say, I'm here today by the grace of God. <laughs> we would have had like a prayer gathering for today, or you would have seen me on Zoom from San Francisco. Something would have happened. It's a long story. I'm not going to go into it, but I, this is the point I want to make. 
I was tired. I had to finish things off. And I just knew as I'm calculating how many hours I might be able to fall on the uh, plane. And as soon as I sat down, there was a gentleman who started to become very chatty. <laughs> and really nice guy, really nice guy, and started chatting. And so I'm a pastor, you know, so I'm wrestling through it. Like, should I pretend I'm not a pastor? But that'll be lying. He's going to be like, what do you do? Oh, I teach. I'm a teacher. <laughs> Leave me alone now. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, this is not good. So anyway, we started talking about random stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to answer his questions really short. So he'll get the message <laughs> that uh, I'm going to be working on things or I'm going to be sleeping. He didn't get the memo. <laughs> so he kept on talking to me. And so usually by this time, like, I have a couple options. Like, if I believe in the high view of the sovereignty of God, there's a reason why this person is sitting next to me, and there's a reason why he's talking to me. That's when I have, you know, when I'm Christ-centered and loving Jesus. But when I'm in my flesh, thoughts are like, why, Lord? <laughs> like, why am I in this situation? And so as we were talking, finally, what do you do? That kind of came out. So I told him, I'm a pastor. And I thought that would, you know, because usually that happens. Like they're chatting and going, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. And then they go off and do their thing, you know, because they don't want to confess or they might think that I have like x-ray vision into their lives. So I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh. And then we started chatting even more. And this is when the conversation began to change, and this is when my perspective began to change. This, because this gentleman was a little bit older than me, but he came to know the Lord when he came to the United States to study as a university student. Chinese background. Because in the university that he went to, a Chinese church, a Baptist church, had an outreach for international students from China. So he just simply said, yeah, they kept on reaching out to me. They showed me a lot of love, and they cooked Chinese food and, and helped me. I'm like, OCR, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And he kept on going to church on Friday and then on Sunday, and through that whole process, he heard the gospel message, and he came to know Jesus Christ. And the conversation continued. For a moment, I was thinking about the message. For a moment, I was thinking about how tired I was, but... I just felt that something in the spirit told me, like, this is not just a coincidence. So we just kept on talking. And as we were talking, we talked from Trump, you know, politics, too. We talked about a lot of stuff. As we were talking, the beautiful thing was we were able to come together on this foundation of our love for Jesus Christ. And... When, when we were talking about his trip to Hong Kong, which eventually is going to lead him to China through the bullet train, it was because his 90-year-old father uh, is, has a health condition, and he's not a believer. And that's that moment when, you know, when the conversation changes, something in your brain kind of clicks, and you realize, wow, he has a parent who does not know Jesus Christ. And he's going there to not only just to see him and maybe take care of him, but just to possibly share the gospel. He wanted to share the gospel. And so I shared about my story, about how my parents didn't come to know the Lord until a much later, and especially my dad. And towards the end of this ride, I mean, he didn't talk to me the whole 16 hours. You know, we slept, and I was working, and I slept. My neck was hurting. Now I know why people wear those things. But anyway, because <laughs> I'm like, why do they always do that? After this trip, I might have to get one, you know. But, <laughs> but at the end, he just said, would it be okay to exchange contact? I'm like, sure. And he said something that really humbled me. He said, I'm so thankful I got to sit next to you. You know when you're like a jerk or you're not very like, oh, I'm so loving. <laughs> And then people say something like that, you're like, oh, you, you know deep inside you don't deserve it. I go, no, 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 I'm, I'm blessed that it, actually you sat next to me. 
And he went on and talked about how he wasn't supposed to be sitting here. Because he was supposed to like sit somewhere else and then something happened and then that's why he was here. And then in my mind, I had an aisle seat up further, but then it got canceled. So they put me back in, in the seat, middle seat next to this guy. <laughs> so I told him, I go, yeah, my story is the same. I wasn't supposed to sit here. Then he looked at me and I looked at him. <laughs> And he said, this must be God. And I said, I believe so. <laughs> I mean, it was so encouraging. We were just uh, encouraging one another. And by the time, because we were sitting way in the back, 53 something. I was 53F, I think, way in the back. And as people were lining up, I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray for him as he's seeing his father. So right there in the airplane with all these people, I just pray for him. I pray for his dad. I pray for him with his time with his dad in China, that he will somehow be able to share the gospel message so that he will come to know him. And trusting that God will be the one who will change his heart. What God did, even in this, it's really short, 16 hours, if you think about eternity, this little dot was that he showed me that oftentimes there are many opportunities that God gives us to be able to love people and to love him. But we get so consumed with our lives that we miss those opportunities. And because I was so thick-headed and so consumed with myself, he needed to use somebody very unique to get my attention. And I was grateful. It made the 16 hours worth it. I share this because I'm wondering for some of us, do we love genuinely? And there are people that God brings our way, and sometimes it's so easy to make excuses, and there are probably good reasons, but excuses why we don't do what God has called us to do, which is to love people. I think this is the reason why it's so easy to talk more generally rather than being very specific. It's easier to talk about abstract ideals than to be able to really talk about obeying God. Let me give you some examples. It's really easy to talk about poverty and not feeding the family that's right next to us. It's always easier to talk about, oh, the issue of poverty, but we're not feeding those people who are next to us. It's like talking about generosity and not giving specifically to a need that we see in our coworkers or even amongst friends around us. It's always easy to talk about evangelism, but not share the gospel with our family or friends. That's what happens when we talk things generally. We don't bring it down to something that's specific. That's why if we go all the way back, I want to read this quote to you by, where is this quote? Do we have this quote, the D.L. Moody quote? Yeah, let's just, can you put it up? It says, if we have got the true love of God shed abroad in our hearts, we will show it to our lives. We will not have to go up and down the earth proclaiming it. We will show it in everything we say or do. See, this is the beauty of the gospel message, is that when you really genuinely experience it, you don't have to really do much, just the way you live your life people are going to see the love of Jesus Christ. Let me just quickly close out with this last point here. Um, I'm going to skip over some of the stuff. So we must not only love genuinely, but I want to talk about how we must love generously. We must love generously. As the lawyer was trying to justify himself by asking, who is my neighbor? Jesus proceeds to tell the story about the good Samaritan. Now, as I read this, I want to highlight two specific things. So let's go ahead and read verse 30 through 35. It says this, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, 
passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him, uh, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I want to talk about two specific things that you see in this story. The first thing is that there was a passive response. Everyone say, passive response. It is very important and significant that the story of these two people were religious leaders. They were a priest and a Levite, both with their position and both with their status as righteous people should have helped this man who was robbed and left for dead. But I want you to note here, but it says in verse 31 and 32 that both the priest and the Levite, and there's no coincidence with God, that he phrased it as what? Saw him, saw the man on the ground, and passed by the other side. So Jesus is telling this story, and he did not do this by accident. It was specifically intentional by saying that they, the priest saw him and walked on the other side. The Levite saw him and walked on the other side. Jesus, what he was trying to say is both of them had an opportunity to do something for his neighbor, and they failed. That's the point. Jesus was trying to help them to understand or help this man, the lawyer, to understand that both the Levite and the priest had an opportunity to do something about the situation for his neighbor and they did not. Now, can I just say there's probably a lot of good reasons why someone will say, but wait, wait a minute, Jesus. Like, think about the situation. Think about your story that you're telling. Because from Jerusalem to Jericho, or vice versa, from Jericho to Jerusalem, whichever way you're going, this road was known as a very hazardous road. So there were a lot of people who were robbers and thieves, and they will wait there to see people coming, and they will rob them. So first thing is, there's danger. They were putting themselves in danger. Can you imagine trying to help this person? You could have put yourself in danger. That's why a lot of times when you see people fighting, you don't want to jump in because you might end up getting hurt. So that's a good reason, maybe why they didn't help in, help them out, help this person out. They didn't want to jump in. Another reason is the delay. I don't know about you, but a lot of priests and Levites and pastors, they're busy. So they're running around from one place to another. So they don't want to be delayed for their next meeting. So like, uh, for me, when I'm like, I, I can understand that, you know, they, they were in a hurry. They couldn't pause and help them and do all the stuff. So they had to go. Another one is defilement. Don't forget about that. Do you remember like the ceremonial laws? If you are a priest or a Levite and you go near a dead body, you are defiled. So you can no longer do what you're supposed to do. So all these reasons maybe justify why they were not able to help this man. And I think all of us can relate to these two in these kinds of situations. Because we have legitimate reasons why we might not be able to love or help our neighbor. We give reasons of tiredness. I mean, there are many of us, we're tired. We don't want to serve and do all this stuff. We're busy. We're struggling. But let me say this. Whenever there's an opportunity to do something good and we miss it, a lot of times we're passive because we don't want to be responsible. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to speak to this lawyer that you don't want to take the responsibility that you are not loving. The second thing that I want you to see, and this is the contrast, is there was a proactive response. Not only a passive response by these two, but there was a proactive response. In verse 33, the key word is but. We see that the person who ended up helping the man was what? A Samaritan. Those of you who know a little bit about Bible background, you know a Samaritan is a half Jew and half Gentile, and they were hated. And so Jesus, he could have used anyone else. He could have used another Jew. 
But he decided to put in a Samaritan to make the situation even more highlighting the lack of love. Here's a person that every Jew hates, the mixed race. But he was the one. And the part that I want you to see here that I thought was so interesting is that he did the same thing as these other two, the Levite and the priest. He saw him, it says, but what happened? He had compassion. The other two saw him and they went to the other side. But this Samaritan saw him and had compassion. The NIV says he took pity on him. The message translation says his heart went out to him. And that's the key in verse 34. He went to him. He bound out the man's wounds, poured oil, oil and wine. He put him on the animal and took him to an inn and he took care of them. Verse 35 says what? It says that he took out two denarii and kept, gave it to the innkeeper. Now, some of you are like, what is a two denarii? One denarius is equivalent to a whole day's wage. So think about how much you make per day. That's one denarius. Two denarii was two days wage. So he gave that much money to the innkeeper to take care of this man, to highlight the sacrifice, that it was a generous love. It wasn't just him feeling good about himself to say, look what I'm doing, I'm such a good... He sacrificed to give to this man. And I want you to look at verse 36 and 37, and we'll close with this. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? This is Jesus speaking. After he tells his story, he's asking the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And verse 37 says, he said, the one who showed mercy, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You know, a lot of commentators mention how even this lawyer could not even mention the Samaritan. He just said, the person who showed mercy. The lawyer was asking from the beginning, who is my neighbor? But Jesus, what he's really asking is, am I being a good neighbor? Or to whom can I be a neighbor? Whom can I love? Whom can I serve? Being an expert in the law, the lawyer knew what God required of his people. Micah 6, 8 says this, He has shown you, or he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God's love can only be given generously as well as genuinely because Jesus first loved us. John chapter 13 verse 34 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is simply the gospel. That's why it's such a powerful story. Jesus is our ultimate neighbor because he loved us when we were in need. He wasn't trying to make excuses. He wasn't trying to justify or trying to rationalize why he should not. But he loved us. He was a good neighbor to us. We were spiritually bankrupt. And then he loved us generously. And he came from heaven to earth to live among us and eventually died on the cross for us. Not only did he love us genuinely, but he loved us generously. This is why when we experience His love, we're able to share this with other people around us. And many of you can testify how you've experienced His love. I pray that you will be able to now live it out. Let's stop making excuses. Who are some of these people in your life that God has brought, that He's giving you the opportunity to be blessed as you serve and love these people? God showed His love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, as it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. So once again, we share God's love and obedience as His love flows out of our experience. I'm going to give us some next steps, and we'll close here. And I, I want to spend some time in prayer, especially as we start off Missions Month. Uh, I pray that this is, I know this is an important month for us as a church as we get ready to move into our new space, as we think about the future of our church, 
This is such an important month. I'm praying that God will do something very special in each one of your lives. But our hearts have to be open. We have to listen to what God is trying to say to us. And when He speaks to us, when we obey, this is where you will see fruit that will come forth from your life. The first thing is learn about your context and your mission field. Those of you who are university students or even high school students, learn more about that university. Learn more about the, the major or people who are in that class. So it's really easy to say, yeah, I love, I don't know, whatever university you fill in the blank. I, I'm not going to call out any university because I shows favoritism. Okay, so blank university in Hong Kong. Like, it's so easy to say, yeah, I love my university. But it's easy to say that, but do you know people's names? Do you know people who don't know Christ? Remember, don't make it general. Be specific. Learn more about this context. To those of you who are working, learn more about the context of the people. I want to encourage some of us to even go out beyond just our comfortable zone and think about our neighborhood. Well, Pastor, I just live here because it was the cheapest apartment I could get. But do you know who are the people who live around you? Do you know that neighborhood, why it's so unique and distinct? See, this is the thing. It takes a little work. You're going to have to talk with people. You're going to have to look it up. You're going to have to find out different things. We're going to try to do this this coming week in life group to find out more about your context so that instead of keeping it general, who is my neighbor? The question should be, how can I be a better neighbor? Just like Jesus was a neighbor to me. Learn about your context and your mission field. Number two, love people proactively and practically. You know, when we talk about loving people, like, yeah, I, I love people. No, you don't. I know that for myself. You can say it, but when it really comes to loving people, it's hard, isn't it? As soon as it says, like, yeah, thank you, Lord. I love people. What happens, like, five minutes later, that person you don't like comes into the room. Wow. God tests us a lot, doesn't he? I'm not going to go into all the specific, but there are certain types of personality that get under my skin. None, none of you in this room. I love all of you guys, you know. <laughs> but all of us have certain types of personality or people that get under our skin. Why is it all of them in our life group, right? Oh, you wonder why. Why are they all in my class? Why are they all in my workplace? Why are they all in my family? Why are they all? Why? Because God is trying to teach you how to what? love love people proactively and practically here's some things that you can do be helpful I've yet to see people hating you if you're helpful you're opening doors of opportunities be helpful find ways to help them another way is be generous buy them coffee find ways to bless them it's kind of interesting because um, I, I have some friends and people who now we're at the age our kids are getting married. And so one of them was sharing, like, this person I don't really know, but they came and brought some gifts. I'm like, oh, they're not that bad. Something about being generous just opens people's hearts. Now, you don't have to pull out the Gucci and Louis and all that kind of stuff. Just a little thing. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna go and get a coffee and like little snacks for breakfast, maybe just buying a little extra and then giving it out to the people at work that's around you. Little things, just being generous. It's gonna open people's hearts. That's how you love your neighbor. I remember when we lived in in our previous apartment, like we realized that our neighbors didn't really speak English, so it was very frustrating for my wife and I. And we're like, oh, we got to learn more Cantonese or at least minimally Chinese, you know, put them on. And one time we were out and we said, oh, why don't we just get something for our neighbors? And our other neighbor ended up giving us, uh, I forgot what it was, during the Chinese New Year, gave us something. And then we're like, oh. So we realized that's a good, so now we see each other elevator like, 
You know, just simple things. And I realized that being generous opens up people's hearts. You're not bribing them, but you're just saying, I want to be a good neighbor to you. And when you become a good neighbor, you're showing love and things happen. So love people practically and proactively. Lastly, link up with your life group to demonstrate God's love. This coming month, you're going to have many opportunities to come together as a life group and share the love of Jesus Christ to different people around you. Do it together. There is nothing more powerful than when a group of people loving God, loving one another, are able to love people. May you experience God's love and that our neighborhoods, wherever we are, going back to that original map, if every single one of us can love our neighbors in each of these districts that are represented, can you imagine what would happen? We've been talking about the saturate vision. That was a good illustration if every single one of us can actually love our neighbors right where we are, we'll be able to reach Hong Kong for the glory of God. Let's pray for each of the campuses, each of the high schools that are represented, each of our workplaces in the different regions. Let's pray for Hong Kong. Let's pray for Kuntong. Uh, and I'm finding out this was a very poor neighborhood at one point. It was very industrial. But over the years, it's changed. Young families are moving in. They're trying to make this into the second CBD, the, uh, the central business district. So things are changing as we realize the great opportunities that we can actually reach out to many people here in this area. Let's start praying and asking God to do that. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.